Hey now, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. I'm Dave Lorenzo, and today we're talking about one of my favorite things, good writing. There is nothing more important in business development than good writing. It is the foundation for everything you do. You can't do video like this if you can't write. You can't do podcasts if you can't write. You can't connect with people, motivate people, or move people if you don't have command of the written word. And we've got the perfect expert, the absolute perfect expert to give us some insight on how we should be writing to move people, to engage people emotionally. Please join me in welcoming Lauren Hauptman to the Inside BS Show. Well, Lauren, thanks for joining us today. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so let's talk about why I think you are the go-to person for great content. And to talk about that, I think we need to hear what your background is. And, you know, you didn't just wake up this morning and decide you were going to start writing. So tell folks how you got into this, what you do, and why you do what you do. Well, thank you again for having me today. Um, I started my career as a magazine editor and spent most of my professional career writing for magazines and editing magazines, which I still love to do. There just aren't as many of them. Um, and when I get the opportunity to work on a magazine, I get very excited. But I learned early on that if you can write and edit well, you can write and edit well about anything. My first job in a magazine was at Unique Homes Magazine, which is a luxury real estate magazine. And I was in Manhattan living in like a 300 square foot apartment, making $20,000 a year, writing about 10 and $20 million houses. And then I was the managing editor of the Journal of Petroleum Marketing, where I learned everything I never wanted to know about gas. And I became the car wash queen. And I could tell you about good use of canopies at a service station. So I really, and the, the key to all of it, no matter what you're writing about, is to think about who's reading it. And that is actually the only hard and fast rule is no one cares what you have to say. They only care about what they need to hear. So what I realized at the Journal of Petroleum Marketing is people were reading this, not gas stations, people. They wanted to smile. They wanted to laugh. So, you know, one of my stories about convenience stores was eat here, get gas. So, you know. Perfect. That is yeah, so still one of perfect. my all-time great ones. Um, and I would, you know, sometimes the, the subject matter was dry and I would do what I could in subheads to be clever. So, Thinking about who is going to be reading what you're writing is the most important thing you can do in any kind of writing, especially in business writing. I love it. That is that is probably, we can just stop the show right now because that is the best advice you could ever give anyone. You know, in writing, I, I, write, I write every day and um, I email an article to uh, either a different list or multiple lists every day. I've written three books and that uh, somebody gave me that advice years ago and I don't sit down in front of a computer without thinking about 
the person who's going to be on the other end. And, you know, so the last book I wrote, my avatar, the person I was thinking about was a, a grossly obese um, man on a couch, you know, with potato chip crumbs on his shirt in a snowstorm. And my job was to get him to want to get up off the couch and go out and sell something. Right. So that was that was my avatar for, you know, I, and th- you know, thinking about, a you know, a, a lazy schlub who, you know, I got to get off that couch to go out and make some money. And that is that was who I had in my mind every day. Um, sometimes I sit down in front of my computer and I think about a lawyer who's buried under, you know, a mountain of work that she doesn't want to do. And all she wants to do is engage with the clients that she wants to work with. But, you know, people keep dropping other files on her desk. So how can I motivate her to get out from behind that desk and go create new relationships? I mean, those are the things that we should be spending the most time doing in addition to having conversations, real conversations with the people who are going to read the, the magazines or read the articles. So, Lauren, talk about when you were when you were editing the Journal of Petroleum Marketing or, you know, something else that is a, a dry, um, you know, a dry uh, trade journal. What would you do to make sure that you are entering the conversation taking place between the ears of your of your reader? How would you how would you make sure that the content was going to resonate? You know, that's another of the most important questions you can ask. And the only way to do that is to talk to them. Find out the kinds of things they're concerned about. Find out the kinds of words that they use what they know, how they know it. A lot of the writing I do, especially for B2B writing, my audience knows a lot more than I know about the subject matter. So I have to rely on my client to share his or her wisdom with me. And I have to not make assumptions. I ask questions. I I just talk to them. And if people are not talking to their customers and their prospects, they're not going to do a good job writing because they're not going to know what they need and they're not going to know what they're doing well. Yeah, I I mean, I I couldn't agree with you more. And it's, you know, sometimes people will get a... They'll get a writing assignment. Like, let's say if they're a, uh, I've I've worked over the years with freelance writers who are like college students, and I've worked with great college students, and I've worked with college students who just were. I, it was obvious they were taking the job to you know just to to get some extra cash, and the good college students would say to me, okay, can you, can I talk to two or three people who are, you know, who are going to read this so that I can get a sense for what they're looking for? And the other folks, you know, they would just, they would just write and it sounded like a college student wrote it. And now why do I give you, give the example of college students? Because it's really easy to tell when a college student has written something, if they're not writing from a place where they're, they're, they're reader centric or they're, or they're reader focused. So Lauren, now you, you write for other people all the time. So that begs the question, at least for me, how do you make sure that your not only writing for the reader, but you're writing in the voice of the person who has who has asked you to do the work for them. How do you make sure that you're, you know, that you're that you're communicating the way they would communicate? You know, it's actually the same process. I talk to them. Whatever I am writing, whenever I'm doing ghostwriting, 
I try to spend as much time as I can with the person whose byline it is going to be to find out how they talk, what kind of words they use, what kind, how comfortable they are being either folksy or formal or whatever tone and voice they use. I try to make sure that comes through and that I am not, that you can't hear my voice in the in whatever I'm writing, whether it be a Forbes article or a blog post or a case study, um, much of my writing does not appear under my name. I am long past the point in my career where I need to see my name in print or on on the screen. And if I do a good job, no one ever knows I was there. Um, I rely on my client's subject matter knowledge because I am the expert on pretty much nothing in the world, other than maybe dogs and, and eating, not related. But my clients are subject matter experts. And I don't want to make it sound like for me to write a blog post, it takes, you know, 14 days of spending with them. It doesn't. I can do, I can do a bunch of interviews in an hour and get a whole bunch of blog posts or several articles, but I pay really close attention to the words they use over and over and the style that they use. And it, again, it's just a matter of talking and listening. You know, uh, it is, that is a unique ability. And I think, um, you know, a lot of people who do what you do uh, take it for granted. Being able to write in someone else's voice and carry it through an entire piece, an entire article is, uh, it's, for me, I could never do it. I can't do it. Everything always sounds like me. So like the first paragraph may sound like the person, but then I default back to, it's just, it's, it's almost like the way I, I, I describe it to people. I, um, I speak Spanish. I learned to speak Spanish, uh, later in life. And now I'm learning to speak Italian and writing in someone else's voice is exactly like that. I think in English and then translate to Spanish, or I think in English and then translate to Italian. So I think in Dave Lorenzo's voice and I got to translate it into the other person and it's just too much work. It's just really hard. Do you find that when you get immersed in a piece and you're writing a piece, do you, do you think that, do you believe you think like that person and that translates to the page or is it just something that you can do, you know, very quickly by switching back and forth? You know, that's an interesting question. I, I've never really thought about it, but I think, I don't think, I don't know. I'm going to have to pay closer attention to that. You know, I, I regularly switch hats from doing one kind of writing to another because I'm, I write across industries. But I'm not sure. I'm going to pay attention to that. So I'll get back to you. Think about it. Think about it like method acting, right? So mm -hmm. you're you could be an actor and just memorize lines, and then go out and you know think to yourself, okay, well, you know, I memorize these lines, and this is what the character would do, and then you deliver the lines, or. You could be the Daniel Day-Lewis type and you, you know, you're shooting Lincoln for a year. You stay in character as Lincoln for a year. Now, look, that's a little extreme, but, you know, you're you're immersed in a technical piece about, you know, medical equipment. So now you're maybe you're thinking like a physician's assistant. You're thinking like a uh, an OR nurse. You're thinking like that surgeon who's looking for that piece of equipment. And it's you know, it's not the right piece of equipment. And he has to use something else and, you know, kind of, you know, make it work. 
what is his frustration? What is it? So maybe you think like that. Maybe you're, maybe you become that person for the length of that piece, or maybe you're just thinking and translating back and forth and going, let me, let me read this paragraph again and see, would the surgeon really say it like that? It'd be, it'd be an interesting exercise to find out, you know, whether you're actually, you know, thinking like the person or you're kind of translating. Talk about how you make sure, um, that the, that the piece has the, the, the outcome that the person who asks you to write, you know, actually, actually, you know, gets to. So maybe, maybe the outcome is, hey, I want to persuade them to think this way because we're going to ask for a donation down the road. Or I want to, you know, I want to present a topic that is, that is timely and, you know, uh, serves to advance the brand of my business. How do you, when you're writing a piece, make sure that it 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 delivers on the you know the the outcome the person who engaged you intended? There's a mistaken impression that you can't measure good content and you can't measure good communications, especially these days when most content is online somehow. You can measure it by how many people stick with it and read it and click through and and all that stuff. I tend, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I tend to measure it by how happy my client is. If my client says, this sounds like me, I love it, then I don't bother with metrics. I let them worry about metrics. And then they'll come back to me and say, I really loved that, but I think we need to turn up the volume on this kind of thing or that kind of thing. So I, I will get tweaks back if I'm working in an ongoing engagement and we will make adjustments that way. But I am, I really work on positive reinforcement. Um, when, when my client reads something and says, that sounds like me. That is great. And that is my perfect answer. This is, why, this is why I like you so much because you and I think exactly the same way. When I go to deliver a speech, right, there could be 300 people in the audience. The most important person to me is the person who booked me to give the speech. So if I piss off 299 people and one person is thrilled, I did my job. <laughs> it's true. I'm like, you know, whoever is paying me to do yes. what I do, if they are happy, then that is the highest metric that I can ever. Earn. I think that's brilliant. I think that is exactly what you should be concentrating on. Um, Thank you. Let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, something that, that really sticks in my cross, something that just absolutely aggravates me. And that is, I found today that there is a dearth of editorial guidance, like substantive editorial guidance. I like for me, if I'm writing a piece for a trade journal, I get no feedback. I get no notes. If I'm writing like the last the last book that I wrote was published by a major publisher. You can go on Amazon and look it up. When I I submitted chapters and, you know, before I started the next chapter, waited for editorial guidance, I'd still be waiting if I, you know, if I, if I didn't just keep going because there's, there's so much. And I, I think part of it, Lauren, is that there just is not, there's not an investment in, um, in editing, you know, real, real good content editing anymore. People still invest in copy editing because they don't want gram grammatical mistakes. They don't want, you know, bad punctuation. 
But other than maybe just making sure that there is continuity, I I found that I don't get any feedback. And look, I don't want I, I don't want you know an overzealous or a heavy edit. But I would like objective feedback to make sure that somebody who's reading it can actually understand that there's a that there's a common thread. Have you found that? And, you know, I mean, you edit as well. So maybe maybe you're not as bothered by this as I am. But have you have you found that in your in your, you know, day to day writing and, and when you submit stuff? You know, I, I find that editing is always undervalued. Um it is my favorite thing to do, or one of my favorite things to do. I'm a really good writer, but I'm a really good editor. I like I like to say I take out of tune copy and make it sing. Um, I think the phenomenon you're describing has given rise to a whole new little niche of people who provide that service for a fee because you know maybe the publisher does not value that enough to offer that service. So you have to go outside and pay it out of your pocket to have somebody do that. But I'm a big believer that if you are going to have your name on something, you want to invest every possible thing to make sure it is everything it can be. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So what, what I ended up doing is I formed a little focus group and I sent the content to people who would be the intended audience members and I got notes from them um, you know, and some of the, you gotta, you gotta be, you gotta set your ego aside, right? Because you're going to get bloodied and, um, it made for a much better book. I mean, some, you know, with, with articles and stuff, sometimes you're under deadline pressure and you can't do that. But I, I found that it made it better from a, from a, you know, a content, the value of the content standpoint to do that. I just, um, you know, I guess I was hoping, especially with a with a larger publishing house, I was hoping there would be some type of, you know, content feedback. Yeah, there wasn't even a there. There was there were there was onerous submission guidelines. You know, this is how you must submit your work, and it must be double spaced and in this format. And you know, this is how you need to get releases for anyone you mention in the book because we don't want to get sued. There's all kinds of guidance on that stuff, but on the actual content itself, there wasn't a lot of guidance. And when I asked, the response I got. And maybe this will surprise you, Lauren, maybe it won't, was, well, listen, you know, very few people read business books and almost nobody reads a sales book. <laughs> I'm like, well, why the hell am I writing it then? You know? <laughs> what an awful response. From, from someone who has now been promoted to publisher. <laughs> so, wow. so what I do is, you know, I just, I send the book to everybody that, that I want to work with. And I'm like, Hey, listen, you know, tell me what resonates with you from the book. So I know they at least read one chapter or something. Um, let's talk. Well, I, that's, oh, sorry, go ahead. that's okay. That goes back to what we were talking about, which is ask your audience yep. what they want to hear. So the most valuable feedback you can get is what you saw. Yep. Uh, I, I completely agree. Let's talk about, but let's talk about editing um, and talk about what makes a, what makes either an article or a book really hang together. Because I find that, um, 
like I, I, I'll have my clients write stuff and then I'll have them send it to me so that I can punch it up from a marketing perspective. Not, you know, I'm not a, I'm not an editorial guru. I certainly, you know, I'm, uh, you know, gra- as far as grammar and spelling go, I write like I speak. So it could be quite atrocious if I tried to, to edit for that. But I, I like to edit for, uh, pers- from a persuasive standpoint, especially the call to action at the end. Talk about what you do to make sure that a piece hangs together. And I, I guess that disjointed thought that I started to share was sometimes my clients will put a, they'll put a, you know, a paragraph at the beginning, like a, like a nut graph paragraph at the beginning, which really sums up what the, what the article should be about. And then they'll have a nice call to action at the end that ties into that first paragraph. But everything in the middle is like, you know, everything from what they ate for lunch to where they went with their kids on the weekend. And it really, you know, it's a, it's a zigzaggy uh, mess that doesn't really hang together. What do you do when you're editing to, to help somebody keep the common thread to just to get rid of the fat and make the piece really hang together nicely? That's a really good question. And, you know, I, while the, the common practice these days is to do just what you said and do the first paragraph is paragraph is kind of of a synopsis. To me, that doesn't tell a story. I like to tell a story, have a great opening line that captures attention and build the story to the end. Don't necessarily give it away in the first paragraph. Now, that is a bit contrary to salesy writing, where you assume that people are going to read the first paragraph at most, so you have to tell them everything. So it depends on the the kind of writing you're doing and what you're trying to achieve. But I believe, I still believe a story should be built and you can tell people what you're going to talk about without giving away the ending. And the other thing, and this sticks in my craw, is conclusions have gone away. People just end randomly. It just there's, stops. The writing it just, just stops. stops. It just stops. And then there's a call to action. And it's like, woo, woo. you know, it's like not having that final mash episode where everything gets tied up with a bow. And a good article, you can, you circles back and concludes. That's why it's called a conclusion. And every article should have some kind of conclusion that either includes the call to action because that's part of the story or that concludes and then goes to the call of action call to action. Yeah, uh, it's such a such a great point because that it, it just goes off a cliff. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. just the 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 end without without anybody, you know, I, like I so I think everybody thinks that they're um that they're writing the Sopranos finale where, you know, where nothing is resolved, right? And that what that worked for that show because that show was designed to be a glimpse into the life of, you know, of a mobster who struggles to keep his family together. But it doesn't work for everybody else. Like, you know, there's a reason why the way that show ended pissed everybody off is because it just ended. You can't do that in the real world. You have to tie it up. You have to tell them what, you know, you have to tell them what the whole point of this was and you have to make sure they understand it. And then you can get them to to do what, what you want them to do. What is, Lauren, what's the toughest stuff for you to edit? What do you, you know, when you when you get an assignment, you, you just, you know, I'm sure there's stuff where you're 
you're just like, it's a dream. I wish I could do this all day long. What is really hard for you to dig into? You know, I would, at one point in my career, I would have said it was a topic that I found uninteresting or knew nothing about. But that is not true anymore. I, a few years ago, got a client that is a trucking logistics provider. And I will tell you, I knew nothing about trucking or logistics or statistics or supply chain or anything. And it was the hardest learning curve of my career. But for the past two years, I've been writing their weekly market update. And my work for them has expanded quite a bit. And I can talk to anyone about supply chain, which it just so happens is the hottest topic that there is. So... I've learned that no matter how out of your range or comfort zone a topic is, there's interesting stuff in it. Just like I said with the Journal of Petroleum Marketing, you know, I wasn't interested in anything about that, but I started, I learned about it. I became knowledgeable about it, and I was able to write and edit well about it. And that just means that the next client I have who says, oh, do you know anything about supply chain? Well, as a matter of fact, I do. And that opens up a whole new little world to me. Um, so it, that was a long-winded non-answer to your question, but the real answer to your question is probably the more technical it is, the harder it is, because I have to really stop and think if the people I'm writing for understand this, even if I don't. So that's the hardest thing is, you know, I was once editing RFPs for JP Morgan. And oh, God. Oh, my God. It, you must really have had to pay some bills. So it's, it's yeah. really, oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, and I was like Googling every other word because I didn't know what a lot of stuff meant. But when that happens, you have to go back to your client and say, does every possible person reading this understand that acronym? Because if they do, that's great. We leave it as is. But if you think, oh, maybe 20% of the people don't, well, then we have to explain what that acronym is. I'm not the only one Googling. Yeah, no kidding. Man, I would I would try and fix the response so that you could write it in English and maybe that would get it noticed, right? Um, all right, so I'm going to ask you this question. I want you to take a minute and, and think about it. Um, and the question I'm going to ask you is, what should we look at? You know, the readers, the people who are who are watching this, what should we read to as an example of really good high quality writing so you know if when you sit down like uh you know a sunday afternoon what do you sit down just for you know for pleasure for you know to enjoy something and you know it could be it could be online it could be it could be in a magazine it could be a book what is what is in your mind what is a great example of really high quality writing take a minute and think about that because i want to remind people that we are brought to you by sandrowski corporate advisors for over 35 years the folks at sandrowski have been helping business owners just like you with their accounting. Now you're thinking to yourself, hey, I got a bookkeeper, I got an accountant, why do I need Sandrowski? Well, here's the reason why you need Sandrowski. They work with privately held companies and high net worth individuals. And one of the things they do is they will help you make sure your business is structured for sale in a way that will minimize the taxes that you as the owner of the business will pay 
when you sell the business. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. You might not be thinking of selling your business for five years. You might not be thinking of selling your business for 10 years. Eventually, your business is going to end. It'll either end with you dead at your desk or with you selling it to someone, maybe someone internally. When that happens, you're going to get a bucket of cash, a wheelbarrow of cash, a dump truck of cash. You want to pay as little taxes on that as possible. Here's what Sandrowski can do for you. If you give them a five-year window, they can help you look at your business. If you're in a certain industry, you may be eligible for a qualified small business tax exemption when you sell your business. Harry Sandrowski himself just told me that he saved someone, get this, like $7 million in taxes. They sold their business for over $100 million. He saved them $7 million in taxes because of this qualified small business exemption. So... I want you to reach out to Sandrowski today. You can call them at 866-717-1607. Honestly, the best time for you to reach out to them was when you formed your business, but you didn't do that because you weren't watching and listening to the show. You didn't know about Sandrowski. So the next best time to call them is right now, 866-717-1607. Give them a call. Let them look at your financials. Let them look at your business and then tell them what your plans are. If they can help you reduce your risk, minimize your tax exposure, it will be worth every penny. 866-717-1607. Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. They're a CPA firm with a different perspective. We're also brought to you by my Revenue Roadmap Guide. Here's what I want you to do. Go to revenueroadmapguide.com, revenueroadmapguide.com. That is a business development plan that I've used with hundreds of professionals over the years. I use it with my clients right now. It's our guide to help them grow their business with relationship development and with thought leadership. We don't do any bus bench advertising. I'm not going to tell you to make cold calls. Go to revenueroadmapguide.com, download your free business development plan, use it to build your professional services practice today. Like I said, same guide I use with my clients. You can customize it for your practice. RevenueRoadmapGuide.com. Enter your contact info. Download it today. We're talking to my friend Lauren Hauptman. She's a great editorial um, and creative services consultant. She writes. She edits. She can even give you feedback on topics that may or may not resonate with your audience. If you want to reach out to her, you can call her at 415 994 9424-415-994-9424. Apparently, Lauren has a thing for fours. 415-994-9424. Reach out to her today. All right, Lauren, so what should we be looking at? What should we read to get you know examples of really good writing? You know, this is a really hard question. There is only one thing that I could think of that I have read religiously for probably 30 years now. Every, well, it was every week. Now it's every two weeks. And that is New York Magazine. Not the New Yorker, because their articles are way too long for me. But New York Magazine, which is a magazine about things going on in New York, but it's also about national issues, international issues, things like that. And several of the things that I love about that magazine, it is a mixture of long and short. And the way that I read it is I go through the whole magazine, I read all the short things, and then I go back through it and I read the long things that interest me. So it serves 
so many purposes and there's there are different skill sets to writing short and writing long. I am a short form writer. If you get to more than 2000 words, I start to get antsy. I believe, you know, brevity is good for the soul and people have short attention spans. If they don't, they're reading the New Yorker. Um but I love New York Magazine. It gives interesting perspectives from a very New York centric viewpoint. And I lived in San Francisco for 21 years and I still read it every week. Um, probably didn't help me acclimate, which I never did. But um, that is a really good example. And I'll give you another thing to read, which isn't doesn't necessarily have the best writing, but if you're interested in telling compelling stories, read People Magazine every once in a while. The articles are short. They grab you. They tell you a little story. And there is a reason why even the most um, intellectual people will swipe a People Magazine at the airport to read on the airplane. So there's something to be learned for that from that kind of storytelling. And if you can infuse just a little drop of that in your business writing, you have a much better chance of engaging with your reader. So I love that you said People Magazine, and here's the reason why. I tell my clients all the time from a marketing perspective, I want them grabbing everything from the supermarket checkout rack because that's how you write today. Back in the day when I was coming up and probably when you were coming up, that's how you wrote your headline. That's how you wrote the title for your article. Now that's as important for your subject line if you're writing a marketing email, right? And I'm not talking about like Bigfoot sighted in the Hamptons. I'm talking about, you know, the, 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 the science of what goes on the cover of People Magazine, the science of what's written on the front of the, the Inquirer is designed to make people grab it and pay whatever it is now, probably five bucks or more, I would imagine, for, for the magazine on the on the rack at the supermarket checkout. The fact that they chose to write those headlines in that way, that if you study that, that's that's absolutely what you need to write to write, you know, a compelling headline or a compelling article title or a compelling subject line. And remember, that subject line, that headline, that article title, it has one purpose to get you to read the first sentence of the article. And the first sentence of the article has one purpose to get you to read that first paragraph. And the first paragraph has one purpose to get you to read the rest of the article. So Every one of those things should be working hard, and it is a lot. Headline writing is a lost art. You know, I see. I was going to say the same thing back to you. I I remember sitting in a conference room with my fellow editors, laughing until we cried, coming up with headlines. You know, I wrote a story about the housing market in Hawaii, and it was called "Can You Be More Pacific." <laughs> and just isn't that great? That's awesome. And just coming up with clever headlines, and those are going away partly because of SEO. And everyone wants an SEO headline where you cram all your keywords in a certain number of characters, and there's nothing clever about it. So I try to be like clever colon, and then the SEO headline. Ah. You know, something that to to show that this article is not just going to be 
five steps to a better blah, 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 blah. So let me, let me warm your soul here and tell you that. So I, I do a lot on YouTube. I, I write a lot for online, but I do a lot on YouTube. And one of the things that YouTube has moved away from, they used to be very title centric. And then they used to use the description to determine what was in the video. Well, creepy as it is, their artificial intelligence has gotten very, very good at determining what is being said in the videos. So now the headline, the description, it doesn't matter anymore. If you, if you're a, if you're a YouTube uh, aficionado, you can watch, you can go to, go to a Mr. Beast video. Those of you who don't know who Mr. Beast is, I, you know, I have, I have a, I have a teenage, teenage kid and a preteen kid. Mr. Beast is um, a guy named Jimmy from North Carolina, and he has developed a following of hundreds of millions of people on YouTube. And he runs, he does like contests. He does, you know, last person to leave the circle wins a million dollars. And he's an incredibly rich guy now. Their videos, they, the, the, title of the video is very headline punchy these days and they don't put anything in the description of the video at all no description there's no there's no keywords underneath it's just how you can contact them if you want to advertise and the um the kind of the chapters the time codes in the video their description is basically nothing why because YouTube with the artificial intelligence intelligence can determine what the video is all about. So, you know, for my clients now who are doing video, I tell them all the time, your title now needs to just suck people in and get them to click on the video. Don't worry about SEO because YouTube already knows what your video is about. YouTube even knows like the brand of glasses that I'm wearing. By the time the video is uploaded, they know what the brand of glasses in the video is. They know if I'm pitching something in the video and I didn't click off the little box that there's promotional content and that's what they do. I mean, that's that. So, so your headline, your title writing is even more important now. Don't write for computers, write for people because that's who's going to watch your videos. All right. So Lauren, talk to me, um, talk to us about how people find you to hire you. I mean, I know you get a lot of business from referrals because I know you a little bit, but talk about, you know, so if your name is not on a lot of the stuff that you write or edit, right? How do people find out about you and how can they find out that you're better than, you know, the, the, you know, 18 year old with no experience who's doing freelance writing? I get pretty much all my business from word of mouth. Um, if you Google copywriter or copy editor or anything, I'm not going to come up. Um, I will come up if you put in my name, but that is not my my business model. Um, I am not the cheapest option out there. In fact, I was, I had a funny thing happen yesterday. I was introduced to someone who runs a PR firm and he clearly didn't want to meet me, which is fine. But he said, he asked me if I ever have occasion to hire to recommend good PR firms. I said, I do actually, because I don't do PR. And I said, so do you ever have occasion to hire good writers? And he wrote, I have excellent writers. And I even have one that charges me $40 an hour. 
So I wrote back, wow, well, if you ever find you have need for someone who charges a lot more than that, do let me know. If you ever, if you ever want to get, you know, if you get what you pay for. So if you ever want really good writing. <laughs> I was like, really, buddy? But oh, my God. It, yeah. So I get pretty much all of my work through word of mouth, um, through clients who move on to other jobs and take me with them. I love when that happens, when my clients get a new job and I get to keep the original client and they take me with them. I have won the day. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, you get, it's, you know, looking for a bargain in writing is like looking for a bargain in parachute manufacturing or dentistry, right? You get what you pay for. So if you really want the cheapest possible dentist, go for it. You want the cheapest person to pack you a parachute. Good luck with that. I hope it works out for you. <laughs> oh man. What a, what a knucklehead. Um, all right. So, who, if we're introducing you to people, who should we be introducing you to? I, I mean, I would think a PR firm would be good because they need people to, their clients don't write. They need people to write, right? Absolutely. I, I play really well with other marketing people because I don't do PR. I don't do strategy. I don't do social media placement and things like that. So I do the deliverable, the written piece, or if they have some writing that needs to be improved, the editing piece. Um, so I play really well with other marketing agencies. And I, I also work a lot with marketing departments of bigger companies that have overflow. Mm. And they bring me on either for a project or as an adjunct member of the team on an ongoing basis. I love doing that. Um, also, busy executives who want to be so-called thought leaders and don't have the time, skill, or they don't have a thought. They don't have a thought. <laughs> they want to be thought leaders, but they got no thoughts. <laughs> well, you know, I've been telling people a long time, just because you can blog doesn't mean you should blog. Oh, yeah. The world does not need another blog. So unless you have something to say and a reason to say it, be quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so talk about the, so you, you will do, um, you'll do corporate type stuff. So you, you will do, can you do like, a? You can, can, you can do an annual, annual report, you could do oh, yes. shareholder information, you could, do, you could do technical stuff, you've done that. What is not something that you have an interest in doing? What is something that is not good for Lauren? I don't do books. Okay. It's too long for me. Mm -hmm. And there are people, as you were mentioning, um, there are people who specialize in content and flow through a very long piece. That is not me. If it is too technical, and I usually define that as if it needs footnotes, I am not your gal. Because then you need someone who has some subject matter expertise, yeah. which is not me. Yeah, I hate footnotes. The footnotes suck. I know. All right, so um, I'm going to ask you now to take a minute and think of three things we should take away from our time together. Before we do that, the most important question that I ask every single writer, serial comma, yes or no? Generally, no. Ooh, no. Why? And I'll tell you oh, why. Why? I, I should have asked you this at the beginning. Why? <laughs> I am an AP girl. Okay. And while I many more of my clients these days are going with the serial comma, for a very long time, the only people who did serial comma were academics. Really? So it was, yes. Like in general, 
magazine world and general business world, no serial comma. So it was us against the academics, Ooh. AP versus Chicago. So if you did serial comma, you were pro-Chicago, anti-AP. And I was pro-AP, so I was anti-Chicago. I will tell you, it is a lot easier to use a serial comma because you never have to stop and think, wait, do I need a serial comma here because there were extra conjunctions in the beginning of the sentence? So are you, but what if there are, the, are you yes. calling serial comma people lazy, Lauren? Is that what you're doing? <laughs> you know, perhaps I'm calling them smarter. Perhaps I'm saying they're smarter because they don't have to spend their time debating with themselves about whether the comma goes there because it's just always going to go oh, there. Oh, yeah. So I I never used the serial comma. And then um, and then I started working at Gallup. And uh, my dear friend Jeff Brewer beat the serial comma. into. I, I never wrote for the Gallup Journal, but he was in the office next to me and I would make him read everything I wrote. And he would always edit it and put it in. And he's like, listen, it's, you know, it's a natural break. It makes it easier to read. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. And I happened to be, um, at the time, I was also doing some academic writing. I was getting a, an, an additional master's degree because why not? I'm a glutton for punishment. And my academic writing was much better with the serial comma. So I always went with it afterwards. But other people who write would look at my writing and they would go, why are you, you know, and it's also, I guess it's also called the Oxford comma. Why are you using the Oxford comma? And because, well, it's easier to read and it makes it flow better and you don't have to think about when you're going to put the comma in and, you know, all the reasons that you said. So um, really, really interesting stuff. The other, the other bad habit that I've gotten into is like the, like two spaces after a period from <gasps> writing on a typewriter. <laughs> when I, when I originally went to, went to college, I still do that in, in word now and it drives people nuts. It drives them absolutely crazy. Well, they say that there is no easier way to know that someone is over 40 than to look and see if they use two spaces after a period. I just, I always, my kids, my my son especially, my son likes to write. He's, he's going to be 14. He likes to write and he'll read something that I wrote and he's like, why is there so much space here? I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lauren, think about three things we should take away from our time together today. Three things. While you're doing that, I'm going to remind people that we are brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. Like I said, over 35 years of experience, they will help you get your financial statements in order. They'll help you with your um with structuring your business so that you can maximize your profits when you go to sell. They will also help you if you need assistance with forensic accounting. So you think there's some funny business going on with your numbers, bring Sandrowski in. They'll get to the bottom of it. They'll let you know what's happening. They can straighten the whole thing out with you and you can determine what actions to take afterwards. They've done that for years as well. You can reach them at 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. Also, don't forget my Revenue Roadmap Guide. It's your business development plan if you're in professional services. Go to revenueroadmapguide.com, enter your contact info, download it today. All right, Lauren, what are the three things we should take away from our time together today? Okay, one, do not write anything without thinking about your audience first, and even better, talking to your audience. I love it. Two, tell a story. Make sure whatever you write has a beginning, middle, and an end, whether or not that end includes your call to action, just having a call to action is not a conclusion. Lastly, don't necessarily do this yourself. 
do what you do and hire someone such as little old me to do what I do. I had a little quickie. I had a general contractor as a client who said to me one day, you know, I finally realized I was thinking I could do the writing because, you know, I can write, but when I go into a job site, I can do the plumbing, but I hire the plumber to do the plumbing. Why would I do the writing myself? It's the same thing. You do what you do. I'll do what I do. And then we can all work together. And that's how America. That's a great analogy. So I want you to call Lauren today, 415-994-9424, 415-994-9424. Lauren Hauptman, it has been an absolute pleasure. I could talk to you for another hour about writing. It has been great having you on. You really gave us a huge amount of value. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. All righty, folks, that'll do it for this episode of the Inside BS Show. We'll be back here again tomorrow. By the way, if you like what you heard, give us a hey now down in the comments. All you got to do, scroll down to the comments and just type, hey now, Dave. Hey now, Lauren. I really love what you said today. Or if you didn't like it, leave that in the comments too. That is an enormous help. We love your feedback. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you back here again tomorrow. Until then, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.